everybody, welcome back to the Noel Kassler podcast, coming to you from the beautiful Hudson Valley, 47 Martin, 0017, if you're a connoisseur, this is a good one. like this anymore. Nazareth, Pennsylvania, right after the war, probably made by a woman, which is a good thing. You know, that's who was in our factories, because all the guys were overseas. Obviously, the war was over by then, but I think the production line, you know, stayed the same for a little bit, as I've discussed before on this show, and uh, that's a fine piece of American craftsmanship. I got it at the end of my first tour with Jackson Brown in the summer of 2010. I got that. And uh, the old Manny's on 48th Street for any guitar nerds that might be listening. And uh, had to get a neck reset. I did at Rudy's, and it is a piece of art now. I break it out very rarely. It's kind of like uh, a piano, as you can hear. I was just improv in a few notes, and it's more about the space in between the notes because the tone and the resonance is insane. And you can also bang on it, you know, and strum. Jackson loves those models. That's who turned me on to them. Anyway, I digress. How are you guys? I know it's been a minute. Coming to you on a stormy winter day. There's storms all over the country right now, as you know. It's very stormy here. I'm losing my hat. Um, The wind is howling. You're going to hear some screeching during this podcast. That is a big uh, tree that's going to scrape up against the window. And uh, there's nothing I can do about it unless I want to go out and prune a 100-foot Norwegian spruce in uh, 50-mile-an-hour winds, which, you know, I'm a city guy, but that's probably, probably like, not the best idea (laughs) to get on a ladder, you know, with a chainsaw right now. So anyway, not that I have a chainsaw. I do have a ladder, a vintage one. Anyway, I know I'm... uh, I'm remiss in putting these podcasts out. As I said last time, you know, I'm I'm thinking about capping it at 108 episodes, though I do appreciate all the responses. And, uh, you know, I love that it means something to you guys. And I certainly love the folks that have come out to the shows and told me that in person. It means more than you know. If it helps and offers any comment, you know, or or comfort, rather, you know, I'll do my best to continue doing it. But, uh, you know, it's... It's not something I, I wasn't ever planning on just doing it forever kind of thing. As I as you know, it's it's not really a business, you know. It, it costs money to do it. I appreciate all the folks that have bought T-shirts and stuff through the years. You know, there's like 30, 30 of you guys or something like that, and you mean a lot to me, all of you, and just the people who listen. But I don't have the kind of infrastructure. This isn't on a network. I know they they play commercials on YouTube or something but i don't see any anything from that i don't i don't get enough views to like get the check sent to me (laughs) but anyway um you know that's not why i'm doing it i'm doing it to spread information that i think may be helpful and you know i'm 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 basically repeating myself you know at this point a lot of the stuff that sort of gets traction is the more salacious stuff i revealed trump snorting adderall the depends all that stuff influencers love to repeat that because it's you know the lowest common denominator will get a bunch of retweets and people that have known about that for years and that i've done videos for about it keep acting like it's brand new news because it'll get them traction so they sort of play dumb and keep reacting to it which is annoying because that's clearly being done for an engagement standpoint not to really do any damage to trump it doesn't matter to his followers you know and when I originally spoke about it, I wasn't, I've made this point often, but I wasn't saying like, you know, Trump has 
these these sort of like addictions or character defects like to poke fun at him or show a weakness what i was trying to get people to understand was the underlying psychology of somebody in active addiction that's the dangerous part you know the part that I talked about his incontinence, that's a result of a man who's never taken care of himself, right? Who's addic addicted to stimulants, who eats fast food all day long, you know? He, he's, he's gotten away with it, you know, through some genetic, like, lottery. He hasn't, you know, already, you know, he's not already buried on a golf course somewhere. That's just dumb luck, but he doesn't take care of himself. So I mentioned it in that respect because he was pretending like he was this virile stud and he's anything but you know and also the underlying psychological components of somebody in active addiction means they're only thinking about themselves they're full of resentment all the time you know they want to get revenge and that's trump that's all he talks about is his own personal aggrievement you know he was in court on thursday mad mugging the judge in a case that he's already lost. There's no point for him to be there, you know? The only thing that's up in the air is how much of a fine he's gonna have to pay and if the Trump organization is gonna lose their business license, which of course they should. They've been running a scam for 40 years and it's a scam that a lot of New York City went along with because he had achieved enough wealth and his dad, you know, started from such a place where there, there was a name in the business and people knew there was money to be made so the other developers looked the other way at who he was morally and did business with him, you know, and the banks did business with him and Deutsche Bank still gave him loans because they needed to launder the Russian money somehow, you know, that they were getting illegally. And, uh, you know, lawyers get a fee off of that retainer. So everyone kind of looked the other way forever because there's money to be made. And, and, and we're a country where... If you get a certain amount of fame or money, you sort of get away with stuff. Or you get lauded as somebody who has some particular acumen that should be celebrated. You know, look at Jeff Bezos. It came out this week, Robert Reich had a tweet, you know, he tweeted an article uh, that the tax, I forget the exact amount of how many billions, you know, Jeff Bezos made last year, but he, it boiled down to he made almost eight million dollars an hour for every hour of last year right here's a guy who has a ship so big a mega yacht so big that he has to dock it in the port of everglades right in florida in fort lauderdale like where they put cruise ships you know and, and oil freighters like that's the only place his yacht will fit because it's so big right the guy who owns that made more in an hour than most americans will ever make in a lifetime than, than most american families will ever make in a lifetime and the guy is somehow celebrated i know he's somewhat of a villain but you know People look at the photos with him and his girlfriend or him on his blue rocket penis ship or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> you know what I mean? We think these guys are somehow clever or smart. They're not. They're greedy. You know, they got lucky on some dot-com thing where he was going to put books online, which was a good idea in the beginning. And then he gobbled up every other business on the Internet and, you know, got people to buy their toilet paper online instead of at the local store it's already been shipped to you know, or whatever stupid thing you're buying on there that you could have just gotten in your community, and you're clogging up our roads, and he's putting potholes on the highways, and he's not paying his fair share of taxes. His tax rate is 1.1%. You know, I paid more in taxes than that, and I made about eight grand last year. <laughs> like, it's insane, right? So, we gotta, we gotta think about what we celebrate, right? Accumulating wealth and not giving it away is is something to be despised. It's not something to be celebrated. Greed is not good. Greed is destroying our planet. Greed is the reason there are storms all across the country this weekend, right? That's global warming. It's going to be eight degrees here next weekend. It's not supposed to be eight degrees in the Hudson Valley. Yeah, once every, you know, hundred years, it happens a few times on a freakish thing. Now it happens on a regular basis, and the next day it'll be 60 degrees right because men are destroying the planet for profit you know and they're keeping people in the dark and people are sort of celebrating that wealth as if 
they're going to get a chance to be that wealthy, you know, and that was Elon Musk's grift. And that was Trump's grift. You know, what he was selling to people when he came on in the 80s was this idea of this gold-plated lifestyle. You could be a baller like me. Come to my casino. Come to Taj Mahal. Meanwhile, Taj Mahal was laundering money, you know, the, for, the, for the mob. They paid a huge fine. FinCEN, well, not huge, 10 million bucks. They paid pennies on the dollar, if that. But, uh, and it took 20 years. But my point is, you know, he was running the shittiest casinos in Atlantic City. They had the weakest payouts, and he was sending buses out into the, you know, neighboring states, and, and the same states he, he seeks his, his voters in now, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, places where dudes, you know, didn't have the money to lose, <laughs> especially in the 80s, because Reagan had already gone through and rusted up half the region, deregulating Wall Street and letting companies go off sea short, you know, going over to Asia to manufacture instead of doing it in the Lehigh Valley, right? So Trump would send buses out to these decimated areas, give you a free ride to Atlantic City. So these old ladies would get on there, they'd come to Atlantic City, they'd put their social security check into his slot machines, and then he'd send them back home, broke, without so much as a free lunch. I wrote a piece about it this week, uh, you know, I don't even know what I called it. Loser. That's what I called it. It's on Substack. If you've been into this podcast or enjoyed any of my insights, they're all on Substack, and I work very hard on that, and I encourage you to sign up if you, you, know, if you like whatever I'm saying. And, and I can do it in a more methodical manner when I'm writing it. This podcast is just me ranting. That's why I jump around so much. But there is always a theme that I try to weave through it, and uh, even though there's no script, you know, I just start talking. But that point about, you know, Trump picking on people that he that couldn't afford to, to, to lose their savings, you know, for black, back, lack of a better term, picking on the poor, you know, which and I grew up poor, a single mom, you know, in a neighborhood where everybody was working and struggling. The idea of somebody who has a lot making those communities worse, you know, being a slumlord like Jared Kushner and like Trump's father, Fred Trump, did, right? Woody, Woody uh, Guthrie wrote a song about Fred Trump, you know, in 1954, how he wouldn't rent to black families. The great New York Times reporting that Russ Butner and, and Suzanne Craig did, it was all about how his dad would scam his tenants. He would double bill them. He would, he would say he was buying a new boiler, so he would raise the rent on the tenants, and then he would buy it through a shell company, not de you know declare it on his taxes as if he took a loss, and would just be scamming money out of the government, the government that gave him the money to build his empire in the first place, right? He got subsidized loans from the FHA, the Federal Housing Authority, which was part of the New Deal era sort of social democratic policies that were trying to lift us out of the depression and that created the middle class in this country, created the prosperity that the same people who now vote for Trump are turning their back on and blaming Biden for attempting to take away from them. Biden's the closest thing to that New Deal era president as I've seen in my lifetime. You know, no matter what you feel about him, his economic policies are working. We were on death's door in 2020. Trump had run, you know, run up $8 trillion in debt, right? He took all this money, gave it to his buddies in COVID, no payback necessary. Guys who were millionaires already were getting $8 million loans and stuff, COVID relief loans, like ridiculous, just robbers, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the fox at the hen house type mentality, right? People taking, never giving back. And that was Trump's dad. He got these free loans, was supposed to build homes for GIs coming back from World War II, right? World War II will be part of the theme since we have the guitar that's from that era, 1947, right? But, we, you know, we had sane public policy that was like, hey, these guys are going to need a helping hand when they get back from sacrificing and serving this country, as are the brave women who served over there and served at home and, and you know, got America's economic back in the factories. I wish somebody would make a movie about that. You know, there isn't enough attention paid to like Rosie the Riveter, so to speak, to that stuff. If, if you've seen my live shows, you know I do a whole segment about it every time because it fascinates me that women would leave their homes in the Midwest 
Women were leaving homes that in Minnesota, like in the 40s, they'd never seen the ocean, and they were going to work in shipyards on the coast, you know, up in Oregon and all these places, right? Shipyards. They were welding underwater. They were doing crazy stuff, working round the clock in these ships to build these ships and, and planes, you know, and tanks and trucks and everything we needed to send over to Europe and save the world from fascism right they they pitched in and did this and the reward for that was economic prosperity right because we weren't getting bombed like england right so when the war ended everything was still standing we didn't have to spend a bunch of money and time rebuilding we were we were good to go and those engines kicked in right and you had the gi bill so a lot of guys got to come home and go to college and further their educations and then they you know they became professionals you know and then advertising came in in the 50s you know and, and the sort of modern rocket age was was launched right and and we were leading the world and we were making great things if you look at anything america made in the 50s and early 60s just from a design a design aesthetic it's incredible incredible the cars you know they're works of art you know and then what happened you know we weren't keeping up with that stuff we had a lot of strife because we weren't dealing with the, the moral implications, right? That wasn't a prosperity for all. I don't want to make any kind of, you know, insinuation that it was, right? It was, it was still a segregated society, you know? The, the black Americans who built this country in the first place and who fought in those wars, you know, from, you know, the Civil War on, from the Revolutionary War on, you know, who, who, who sacrificed you know, willingly or unwillingly did not get their fair share of that prosperity. So I'm not, I'm not unaware of, of the, you know, hobbled recovery of America in that era. I'm trying to make the point of like what social democracy did, why it made us this superpower that immigrants came from all over the world to get a piece from that, a piece of that. And they were welcomed, not with open arms, right? They were deloused and given a new name and, you know, sent off to live in a, you know, in a ghetto on the Lower East Side or something. I don't mean ghetto in a modern sense either i mean you know literally where they would concentrate ethnic groups of people and people were living in desperation you know in close quarters and they were poor but they were striving you know and there was these mechanisms that were built into our government to lift people out of that if they were willing to work hard and study hard you know they could get a shot at going to city college and you know going on to law school or whatever and you know there's a million examples of that you know, children of immigrants who, who went on to shape this country. You know, our popular culture is shaped by that. You know, who do you think's writing all these songs that you sing? God bless America and all Irving Berlin, you know? Like, these are all, you know, people coming from somewhere else, staking a claim here, making it a better place with some sort of social contract that we're all in this together. You know, that the government has your back, that there's some kind of safety net because you need that. It's not a civilization without that, right? It's just a freaking, you know, free-for-all. It's madness. And that's what people like Trump and the GOP want to turn us into again, you know? And his dad, as I said, got these loans, then turned his back on paying back the government. You know, he was part of the KKK. He did all these horrible things. And then he passed that sense of entitlement onto his son, right? His dumbass you know, Donald J. Trump son, right? Who, who was just dumb from the beginning, who got kicked out of school in Queens and had to go to, you know, basically reform school upstate. The military school he went to, the academy was where rich kids went, you know, who couldn't get into a proper prep school because, you know, who was going to take Trump? He was maladjusted from the beginning, right? An idiot paid other people to pay, take his texts, you know, tests, transferred into Penn because somebody else took his tests. You know, the dean there said he was the dumbest guy he'd ever seen. You know, that was after Fordham, where he still hid his grades. You know, Michael Cohn would threaten everybody during the 2016. He threatened Fordham and all these people to, to make his grades a secret. His military record at that school was, was you know, lost because Trump paid for part, you know, like a new gymnasium at that school and stuff to make sure they never really spoke about his time there. 
My point is he covered up his ineptitudes his whole life. And because he was from a wealthy family, and because he basically told people that he himself was this business genius, people, they took him at his word because they wanted some. You know, you see the same thing working on the internet now. Somebody will be like, we're the largest independent news network. You're, this isn't news. You're just retweeting what other people are saying. You're taking somebody else's labor, repackaging it as your own and saying, follow me to stay up to date. It's a freaking scam. You know, now it's the attention economy. In the 80s, it was more of a, you know, stick my hands in your pocket and take the money. Now you just get somebody to sign up and send you the money. It's the same kind of grift. It's flash and attention, you know, and, and, and it's, it's leading to a certain sort of dysfunction in, in our body politic and, and in who we are as a nation, right? People want to be, they don't want to work hard anymore. They want to be famous on the internet. You know, they don't want to make art. They want to like, here, here I am, look at me. I know I'm on there. I, look, I don't care if you look at me. <laughs> I'm happy that you do, but I'm 52 years old, almost 53. Like, I'm not trying to be the next TikTok star, you know? I could care less. But, you know, and I wasn't, when I started doing comedy, just so you know, I wasn't even on the internet. I joined the day that thing went viral that Kathy Griffin um, put out there. I, I'd quit all of my social media when Trump got elected the first time. And, you know, I, I spoke out before that. But, you know, once he got elected, I was like, oh, I'm out of here. I'm just going to talk in the comedy clubs. And then the thing went viral and I thought it might help and yada, yada. Here we are today. But it's 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 dangerous, you know, and that's what I talked about on the last podcast. Don't put all your eggs in an Internet basket. OK, don't don't think that retweeting stuff on Twitter all the time is fighting back in the resistance. I, you know, it's good if it helps a little bit. It's good if it makes you feel better and informed. But we're going to need something more. Right. We're going to need to figure out something more this election cycle. Trump's about to win in Iowa. The polls that came out today, if you read The New York Times, he's ahead, which is surprising because it looked like Nikki Haley was surging. DeSantis is an idiot. But, you know, he's ahead with like the evangelicals, which is disgusting. You know, people who consider themselves Christian are voting for a guy who is the most immoral person I've ever met. And I've met a lot of people. You know, I worked in the entertainment industry. I know the Weinsteins. Like, I know some sick motherfuckers, okay? You know, and the fact that evangelical Americans think his brand of governance is, is in accordance with the teachings of Jesus will boggle your mind. And what should terrify you is that people are willing to go along with it because they see it's successful. It's the same dynamic I'm talking about on the Internet. Right. Somebody gets successful saying or doing something. All of a sudden there's 10 imitators the next day because everybody wants some. It works the same way in politics, especially when you're manipulating people who don't know any better. Right. When you're picking on people and playing on their emotions, so to speak, that's what Trump does. Right. The same people that he was sending buses for to bring to Atlantic City to take their Social Security checks into his slot machines. He's hitting with texts and emails all day long now saying, pay for my legal defense, support my campaign. And he's not spending the money on either one. He's putting the money into his, you know, into his pockets, right? He's spending the money at his clubs. He's doing events at his clubs and stuff to take this money, you know, and keep it for himself. But people think they're helping him fight back against the evil liberals and all this kind of stuff, right? And that's very dangerous. That is a very dangerous dynamic because you see it being replicated by other Republican politicians, most notably men like DeSantis, who says he's going to shoot him dead, you know, the first day. That was his response always on the debates when it comes to immigrants. To Governor Abbott, you know, which is the main point of what I want to talk about today, because it's a story that just didn't get any traction, really, that it should have. But the beginning of last week, Governor Abbott sent his Texas National Guard down to the border at the Rio Grande, you know, where the wall is in Texas, right? The, the immigrants have to come across the Rio Grande River. When they get across the river, they're in Texas, obviously, right? That had been the domain of the Border Patrol, right? And like, you know, DHS and stuff. He sent the, 
his own private Texas National Guard down there. And what they did is there's a few access points, right? They blocked off those access points and they won't let Border Patrol or DHS people in the, the little one road it takes to get like through the wall and get to the river. Say if somebody's drowning in the river and you want to go patrol it and make sure people don't drown or lift them out of the bob wire that he's put in the water to, to ensnare people. So last week they got a call on Friday. You know, this is Sunday. On Friday, they, there was a call that a mother and two children were in the, in the water, potentially drowning in distress. And the authorities, the Border Patrol and stuff, went there to try and give aid and they were stopped by the Texas National Guard who just had their backs to the river and wouldn't let the other authorities in there to rescue these people and they died. A mom and two kids, you know. That is the policies of the governor of Texas. That is the thing he's going to brag about at his next campaign rally, that he's killing people. He's killing the people you don't like. And he's speaking to white, conservative, American, ignorant jerks, right, who were living in a state that belonged to Mexico at one point, right? You know, the best thing about Texas is the Latino and Mexicans that you meet there. You go to Texas, you eat Tex-Mex. There isn't really a Tex part of that. It's the Mex part that tastes good, right? The Texas, we got beef and stuff and barbecue, right? It's the flavor that came from Mexico that makes Texas interesting. And I'm not dissing on Texas culturally. I don't mean politically. I mean, a lot of my heroes are from Texas. Towns Van Zant, Guy Clark, Willie Nelson, you know, Larry McMurtry is still my favorite writer. I like what Texas is. But Texas, modern Texas, or the Texas people think of in American lore, was a lot of German immigrants, right? Those are a lot of the ranchers and stuff that first came to Texas, right? immigrants themselves. Now those same people, or many of them, are supporting policies that are not, not only not letting Mexicans and people from South America and people from Africa and the Mideast and wherever that are fleeing famine and war and all kinds of horrible things, most of which we had a hand in creating with our foreign policy over the last, say, hundred years, <laughs> right? So we got we, you know, a stake in this too if you want to pan out you know, and look at the big picture. But many of those people are turning their backs. And not just turning their backs, they're okay with people suffering, with a mother and her children dying. You know, that, that's just, that's beyond the pale. And they're doing that to impress Trump in many ways. People forgot when, when he was president pretty early into his term, you know, talking 2019, the border, you know, was a big deal. He wasn't getting it built. It was pissing him off. So he wanted to, he floated the idea of building a moat next to the border wall and filling it with alligators. I'm not bullshitting you. You can look it up. He set it to an aid. He also wanted to paint it black. So if you touched the corrugated metal, it would burn you to the touch in the hot sun, right, in Arizona and Texas and places like that. He wanted to put spikes on top of it so somebody would get impaled if they climbed over it. And that sick stuff flew, right? People were like, oh, that's what our constituents want. Let's do it. They're imitating this. You know what I mean? They're imitating cruelty. You know, Adam, uh, Adam Sewer, right? Cruelty is the point. One of the big cliches of our era. But it, it's, a, it's a very true statement. Cruelty is the point. And Trump's a sadist. He's always been a sadist. He liked to beat up little girls in Epstein's house. That's what he did. I know people who, you know, who, who were working, you know, escorts that spent time in Epstein's place. And they were like, no, you would not believe what those men did to girls and, and women in that place. You know, Trump gets off on being cruel because he's a broken soul. He's a broken man. He has since childhood. I tell people this all the time, and I've said it on the show, you've heard me. But if Trump grew up poor in the Bronx instead of rich in Jamaica Estates, Queens, he would have been dead or in jail by the time he was 21, because somebody else's dad would have killed him, or brother would have murdered him for assaulting their sister or something, you know? Or he would have gotten locked up for being an idiot. But he was, you know, he was rich and white, you know? And, and he said, I, I'm entitled to all this, and we have a system that said, okay, yeah, I guess you are. That is the core problem we're facing, and that doesn't go away. 
when Trump goes away, when Trump finally gives in to the cheeseburgers and that black heart stops beating and we all get to dance for a day or two. And I know that sounds harsh, and he's the only man in the world that I would say that about. But that guy is a bigger threat to humanity than anybody I've seen in my lifetime. If you had a rabid dog that was running through the playground of a daycare center, a cop would come along and take him out, and you wouldn't feel bad about it. I'm not advocating for somebody to do that for Trump. I'm trying to make the, you know, make the analogy of what a threat he is to our political system. You know, when you have these big wars, when fascism goes on the march, hundreds of millions of people die. You know, in the last century, you know, like 100 million people died from, from different wars, right? As a result of fascism. When you look at the numbers, you know, Stalin or somebody in Russia, pogroms, Nazi Germany, World War I, Pol Pot, you know, Different things in the, you know, imperialist, you know, designs in Japan, the rape of Nanking in China, like Chinese, the Mao revolution. Like when you think of like, when you look at the numbers, you know, genocides in, in, in Rwanda and stuff, it's staggering. You know, malignancies in the human mind when they metastasize into political movements and they manipulate people into thinking they're doing the right thing by demonizing the other, we're always in trouble. We're always in trouble. It's the one part of history that keeps repeating itself. You know, it's the curse of the house of Atreus, right? Violence begets violence. We're seeing that now, right, in Gaza with Israel. You know, and, and I've spoken out on the show. A lot of people are really misguided about the history of Israel and stuff. I never said Netanyahu's a good guy. He's a fucking scumbag, right? I was writing about him along before October 7th. What's happening is a result of October 7th. And obviously, you know, it, it, it's an untenable situation any way you look at it. You know, it's a human catastrophe that wasn't even existing in September. Right. And now it could spin out of control further. Right. You got the Houthi situation. You got Iran. You want Trump in charge of this stuff? You think it's going to be better? You think him allowing Putin to go into Ukraine, which he'll do on day one, is going to help this world stabilize it? You know, Putin will kill Zelensky in the, in the town square like he'll be lining people up against the walls, you know, and murdering them. That's what Russians do. They're nasty when it comes to that, you know, and, and the people don't have the will to overthrow him. They're not able to. He's one guy, one little mental midget, you know, one little freak has been able to make them suffer for 30 years, essentially, right? You know, president for 20-something, right? This, like, ridiculous one guy. And look what Trump's done to the world. Look what's happened. People don't want to hear that, you know, or they don't want to think about the fact Trump is probably the most influential person in our lifetime. And I don't mean that in any positive way. I mean, think about how many times in a day his name is mentioned. How many times have I had to say his name on this podcast that I don't even want to do anymore because I'm sick of talking about him? You know what I mean? But I'm not going to also stick my head in the sand and just talk about sports or something. If that's your bag, that's fine. That's not who I am. You know, the arts intersecting with politics are what, have, what has always motivated me because it comes down to people. You know, I was a kid who saw hope in the crowds. Not that I could be a rock star and move the crowds, though that had some attraction to me. It was that I saw people cared and were willing to say the things that it seemingly nobody else wanted to say to people who were saying, yeah, that's a good idea. We shouldn't be in Vietnam. You know what I mean? We shouldn't be burning nuclear power plants, you know, or, or building nuclear power plants. You know, no nukes was my galvanizing political movement coming out of, you know, I was born in 71, so Vietnam was, was winding down, and I've spoken about my family connections to that era. But my point is, you know, Trump's influence on, on, our, on the zeitgeist of our life should piss everybody off because we're going on seven years of active Trumpism, so to speak. Maybe more 2015, eight years, right? And then if he wins, God forbid, you know, and, and I know I said he'd win again. I don't want him to win. I just want us to 
really wake up and make sure that does not happen. You know, I don't want to see us get manipulated by forces that are going to allow some people to like not vote for Biden because you're pissed at him on a policy. You think that policy is going to be better under Trump? Because those are your choices, you know, basically a binary choice between good and evil. And whatever you might think about Biden, you should just look at who they are as people, right? Trump lives in Mar-a-Lago, right? In a private, massive club, you know, that belonged to Meriwether Post, right? A, a, you know, American royalty, essentially. You know, uh, she built a castle for herself in Palm Beach. Trump considers himself royalty above you. You know, that's where he lives. That's his vacation spot. Biden lives in Delaware, okay? He lives in a beach community that you could go to and afford, right? It's not fancy. It's basically the Jersey Shore without all the greasy people, you know? <laughs> I love Jersey. That's just a little joke going back to Guido days in my 80s. But you know what I'm saying? It's Delaware. It's not like he's flying off to Biarritz, you know, however you say it, the south of France or something, right? He's going to Delaware, where he went every night after getting elected to the Senate in 1973 and having the kind of thing befall him that would break most men. You know, his wife and daughter killed in a car crash, his young sons hospitalized, right? Newly elected senator does his business for the country, gets on an Amtrak train every night, just like every other Joe Schmo middle management commuter, goes home and takes care of his family. That's an American right? That's the kind of man you want to vote for. That's what the Republican Party once said they stood for. He's everything aesthetically that a fiscal conservative should be. He's pro-cop. He's from freaking Scranton. You know what I mean? He's from a working class area. He didn't grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth. He didn't go to prep military school because he was too much of a mess up, you know, for public education, right? He earned what he has, and they're trying to demonize him, you know, like his son. Yeah, his son's an addict, and he stood by him, and he's sober, and they're dragging him through the coals. Trump's got a coked-out son every night doing a podcast with fucking, you know, more gacked out than, you know, than anyone I've ever seen. And I partake, you know, I have experience with that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I also have experience with sobriety, you know? It's a hard thing. I've been involved 18 years every day with my recovery. You know, I couldn't imagine early recovery like Hunter's in, having to go before Congress, having to participate in this clown show stuff, having your name mentioned every night on Fox News and not just mentioned, you know, paraded, laughed at by some sniveling frat boy like Jesse Waters, you know, or some greedy bastard like Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity owns like 700 properties, okay? He's an extremely wealthy man. He knows Trump's a fucking lunatic. All these guys do, you know? They're destroying or attempting to destroy a guy who served this country his whole life, you know? Wh whatever you might feel about his politics, if you had to drop your kids off at somebody's house for the weekend, would you choose the Bidens or would you choose the Trumps? Right? Would you be like, hey, I'm just going to leave my kids with Donald down at Mar-a-Lago for the weekend. I'm sure they'll be fine, you know? Or would you leave them with, you know, Joe and Jill Biden and their 12 grandkids so they'd ride bikes on the boardwalk and eat vanilla ice cream? <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to think about the humanistic kind of stuff. Just think of who these men are. Yeah, Biden's old. He talks like not great. It's not because he's dumb. You know, it's not because he's got dementia or anything. It's because he's older. You know, he was never a great public speaker. He's a stutterer, you know, just to get the words out. And Trump makes fun of it. Trump can't read, okay? That's not a joke that comes from my set. He's dumb. Like, he literally has to, you know, phonetically sound stuff out. A three-syllable word sends him into a panic. That's why he snorts the Adderall, to make him feel more in control, because he had a learning disability that his family never dealt with, because they saw it as a weakness, instead of something to overcome, something to be open and honest about, put in hard work, make better in yourself and help somebody else, because that builds compassion and empathy. And that's what Biden has. He's got empathy. 
It's got compassion. That's what you do in nature. You know, if you have something wrong, you don't see it as a disability. You don't make fun of that person like Trump did to the reporter, right? You don't become a bully and take cheap shots. You know who does that stuff? Hurt people, damaged people do that. You know, I had a lot of trauma when I was a kid emotionally and stuff. Dad left when I was three. Mom struggled. I don't know how many schools I was in before high school, you know, like eight or something. You know, always the new kid. You know, cried myself to sleep a lot of my childhood. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on. And, and in the moments I most regret, when I would make fun of somebody else, you know, in school. Because I had a sense of humor. It was like I didn't really know how to use it. It's like a power you're not quite comfortable with. You know, it's like a, you know, a horse trying to find their legs or whatever, you know. And when, whenever I, I, I made a joke at somebody else's expense as a kid, I, I still remember that stuff, you know. Because it came out of the broken parts of me. It didn't come out of a desire to spread joy, you know, or to, to use humor to cover up pain, which is if I was given that gift... That's what it was for, not to cover up pain, but to lessen pain, to, to get us back down to earth, like, hey, let's laugh about this, you know, let's work through this. You know, I had to walk to school the Monday, you know, or whatever, I, I don't even want to talk about myself too much, you know, I, I've had to walk through some stuff, you know, and uh, those moments where, you know, where I did something like that, where, you know, where I acted out of the hurt places in, in me, the undeveloped places, I regret to this day, you know, and I can't make amends to some, you know, somebody I made fun of in elementary school, but I live with it. It bothers me. When you do something about the broken side, you know, out of your defects, so to speak, Trump's in his 70s and he's doing that. He did it last week. He made fun of John McCain for not being able to lift his arms. He can't lift his arms because he got shot down over North Vietnam and they beat him and tortured him and stabbed him with bayonets and then threw him in a prisoner of war camp. You wouldn't be able to lift your arms either. You know, you weren't there. You, you dodged the draft five times and lied about having bone spurs so you could rape cocktail waitresses in the back of your dad's limo and do lines at Studio 54. And now you're making fun of a genuine war hero. Right? That's out of the broken side, the broken parts of him, you know? Do you guys know Pema Chodron, when things fall apart? You know, the wisdom you can be granted in life when things go south and you get hurt and stuff, what you want to do is access the part of your soul that that sort of opens up, you know, the, the love that that can create, you know, the empathy that can create for the struggles in other people, you know, then you're human, then you're going to be in the moment, then you're going to be able to make change and make somebody else's life better, because it gives you an awakening like, oh man, I was blind to the, to the travails of other people, right? And when you're blind to that, you can do hurtful things like we're seeing in Texas, you know, Governor Abbott makes those orders, right? But members of the Texas National Guard who probably consider themselves good Christians, who probably have families at home, a lot of them probably have last names that aren't that far away, you know, in derivation from the migrants that they're turning their backs on and not listening to the cries as they fall under the water of the Rio Grande, you know, a river that's treacherous on a good day to get across, right? Can you imagine doing that? Right? But that's what happens when you, when you act out of the hurt and broken parts of yourself and when it becomes institutionalized. When somebody in authority says, you're a hero for doing that, you're doing the right thing. I'm going to put this uniform on you and call you a patriot for murdering somebody else or, or for being complicit into, in such a lack of humanity that they lose their life. Right? When, when that stuff you know, when, when the Nazis, you know, when they come up with these fancy uniforms and everyone thinks, oh, this is a really good idea. You know, let's go after the Jews. You know, they're the reason we're in trouble. And what do we see now? Anti-Semitism is up 370% or something. I see it all the time. I turned off all my comments because there's so much of it. I happen to not be Jewish. I'd be proud to be Jewish, you know. American Jews are getting attacked from both sides now, Right. Because it becomes okay. And, and when you dehumanize yourself like that, 
when you allow yourself to be manipulated bad things happen you know when you when you react out of the broken parts of yourself Biden is not reacting out of his broken parts you know he may have erred in, in his unsort of wavering support initially of Israel not that Israel didn't deserve all the support but I think he should have been a little more strategic in realizing that Netanyahu probably wanted to screw him over and would rather wait out his presidency and have his buddy Trump back in office you know Netanyahu's to sleep in Kushner's bedroom when he visited Charles Kushner in New Jersey okay I don't trust anything those guys are doing and I said it from day one okay that's a different topic but I'm just saying like yeah you can have legitimate disagreements you can be horrified at the loss of life any sentient being is it's not the way to go about it right but when when you feel like my side can attack the other side right or or when even in my own country i can see my fellow countrymen as somehow my enemy are not deserving of the protections that the rest of us have you're entering into a dark place that history has never emerged from with anything other than remorse and regret and then you build another museum and say never again and then it happens again when you have somebody like a Donald Trump willing to do it purely for his own gain not even pretending like it's going to be for the good of the country. It's just like re-elect me so I can punish my enemies. I am your retribution. And people cheering that on. People laughing when he makes fun of McCain. They laughed. I heard the audio tape. They were laughing. Think of how broken those people are. Think of how they're reacting from their broken places, which is what bullies do. You know, bullies have been branded in this country. By the right you know that's what the big pickup trucks are that's what the AR-15s and all this toxic masculinity that I'm sure you're sick of hearing me talk about but this is why I was talking about it for the last three years on this podcast because now it's coming to fruition he's building an army and no matter what happens in November he's gonna say I won and he's gonna tell his army to go he's gonna say it's go time and they're gonna do anything they can to disrupt the democratic process in service of one man one broken man and his ego willing to burn it all down for his own benefit that's what we're facing that's what we're up against this year you know and that's what we have to be disciplined in fighting against you know you have to be discriminating in the in the information you consume don't get manipulated. Don't say, why, this, why are these people just telling me the same freaking thing over and over again? And asking me to sign up and send them money and stuff. That ain't going to help. People shouldn't be trying to profit off this moment. You can get paid for the hard work you do, but this isn't the time to do that. This is the time to give up some things and sacrifice like people did during World War II. I'm no hero. I had to walk away from my career in live TV when Trump got elected because I knew there was nothing on the other side of it. Right? And... and you know we had a little bit of a respite when Biden got elected and I could go back to doing shows and stuff but for the most part we're still in damage control right COVID's still out there nobody talks about it there's people who still have to stay in their homes because they're immunocompromised you know they can't they're not out there going to concerts and doing all the stuff they see everyone else doing they're still living in this reality that was created by Trump's both malfeasance right his mishandling of the early COVID days where he just acted like it didn't exist. It's not my problem. You've all heard the Bob Woodward tapes. Oh, this thing's deadly. This thing's killer. That's what he said in January, early March. Is it real? No, it's not real. I'm not going to let that ship dock because there's 50 people and you'll blame me because the numbers will go up, right? A week later, the entire globe shut down. The entire globe, right? And what did they do? They profited. What did Jared Kushner do? You know, he withheld PPE, personal protective equipment, from nurses in, in blue states, in Massachusetts, and New York, because he knew they wouldn't support him politically. So he held it over them. You know, he put his college buddy in charge of, like, the, you know, the, the, the COVID research and stuff. You know? He figured out, how can I make a buck off of this? How can it help me? And it's like I said at the top of the show, that's 
what you don't want. You don't want people who are addicted to money or drugs, right? Because they're only thinking about themselves. And greed is just as much of an addiction as any other compulsive behavior. It's probably more destructive, you know, because it hurts other people. And not that addiction, active addiction doesn't hurt every, other people. It hurts everybody you come in contact with until you do the work on yourself, right? And if you do the work on yourself, if you find your defects, if you pray to have them lifted, right? If you make an honest amends, not about like what you can get out of somebody else, but how you can make right what you've already done, you have a chance at the core of your being, at the very essence of who you are, in this blink of an eye time you're on this planet, no matter how long you live, right? You're only here for a moment. You're given this soul. You're given this consciousness. You're given this blessing of being in this body where we spend all our time in our minds and thinking about other people and the careers and the way we haven't gotten ours and what does that guy have? See through all of that fog and realize at any given moment you have this space inside of you, this stillness that you can connect to, you know, that you can be in. That's consciousness. That's beyond the mind. That is a gift, you know, and that exists in every creature. The same thing is in a little lizard and a little bug and a bird and a bee, you know. And a lot of those other creatures and animals, they have an advantage over us because they're always in the moment, you know. They're always thankful to be here. You know, look at a dog, man. That's like looking in God's eyes, right? So, if you do the work on yourself, you know, you have a chance to correct those things at the core of your being and make yourself right with the universe. And why wouldn't you want to do that? I'm not talking about make yourself into a Buddha and achieve enlightenment, enlightenment and all that. I'm talking about getting some clarity on your experience here and getting beyond the broken parts of your own ego, which we all have, right? We've all been hurt and programmed and done had some kind of stuff piled on us that we react to life in a way that isn't from always a place of love, right? It can be from insecurity. It doesn't mean everybody's bad. It means, you know, nobody rides for free, <laughs> okay? As, as, as my mentor Jackson would say, right? Everybody's got something to deal with, you know? Which, understanding that helps you be compassionate towards other people, right? And what they're going through. And that's how you should view everyone else, with love. Think of something you love, your cat, your dog, your wife, your kids. And when you meet a stranger, see the person you love in that stranger. Even if that stranger is abhorrent to you, try to view them as being made of the same thing that that creature you love is made of. Because the reality is, they are. You're always meeting yourself in a way, in a bigger way. Right? So if you make those things right at the core of you, you have an opportunity to, to have at least some of this ride that you're on be correct, you know? You, you know in that moment when you achieve that, you're coming at it from like, it ain't about me. How can I help? How can I be of service? You know, how can I turn this over to my higher power or whatever it is? You know, beyond religion, beyond theology. A consciousness because you can't take it with you anything you achieve you can't take with you anything you own you can't take with you and that goes back that's what everybody says you ever read Rumi you know every goddamn poem is saying that you know they all say that because that's the truth they're just different arrows they're all pointing to the same truth in our day-to-day -day lives it's hard to get with that and and do we have to discuss the things we're discussing of course we do when you watch football later today, you got to be aware of like, how come every commercial's for a truck and a car and every game I'm watching has some crazy ass weather that never happened before? Climate change, they're related. You're not making that connection when you're watching the game because you want to be entertained, right? Bread and circuses, right? You got to see your role in that. You got to see your role in the world and take action. I'm not saying go live on a mountainside, but 
do the work. You can do it anywhere. You can access it at any time. Quiet your mind and trust God. as a simple way to put it. And God can be whatever you want to be. I've had all kinds of higher powers. Gord Downey, singer for Tragically Hip, was mine at one point. Very effective one after he passed. But find a guru. They're out there. They'll appear when you're looking for them. And I don't mean some bearded thing, though. I've done all that kind of stuff. Ama is a big influence on me. Amrita, if, if you know who she is, they call her the Hugging Saint. She's in Kerala, India. You can go deep into that stuff, listen to music, whatever it is. The truth will make you sit up straight. When you see it, you'll know it, okay? You fix those broken parts. You don't make fun of people that have disabilities or, or animals. You know, the reason I'm doing this podcast today, and I'll stop here in a minute and wrap it up, is because I have a three-legged lynx that lives in the woods beyond the property. And I hadn't seen him in about a year. And I saw the other lynx that lives out there last weekend. Bobcat uh, is probably the proper nomenclature. I call him lynx. It's sexier. But anyway, so the bobcat, I hadn't seen him. I saw the other bobcat. And I was like, where's, where's the three-legged bobcat? I hope he's all right. Didn't see him last year because the lawn got mowed at the end of the summer. And uh, I think that hurt his hunting area. So we let it go. And now it's all kinds of hay and brush and stuff and the moles and the mice and stuff live in there you know that part of the ecosystem right that the predators sort of need the hawks and the the the, the coyotes and all that stuff so today the three-legged lynx appeared you know and he has a fourth leg but it's limp and i think it's been that way since birth it's a she i call her lady gaga because she was born this way right and she limps i put a video on my instagram she limps and, and your heart goes out at first. You're like, uh-oh, this, this, this creature's in pain, right? But she's not in pain. Then you observe her and she's completely capable. She looks like she's, and she's clearly limping, right? But she's alive and she's been alive for many years. I've been seeing her four or five years in these pretty brutal, harsh conditions with a shrinking habitat for any sort of wild creature, right? And when you see her pounce, she'll sit still and then pounce. She's got all her facilities, and, and it's amazing, you know. But you think of that, you know, you think of how nature on its own doesn't, you know, doesn't look on that as a defect. That, I guarantee you, that lynx is not feeling sorry for herself. She's not seeing herself as others, you know, as less than. I don't think the other lynx are picking on her. You know, hopefully she's got some... Some nice bobcat dude hooking her up with an extra, you know, mouse every now and then or something, you know. And because uh, it gets cold at night, you know what I mean? Sexy little three-legged lynx will do you right. So anyway, I saw the three-legged lynx today. So this is the, the, the message of the three-legged lynx coming through me to you. There are no mistakes in nature, right? There are no dis disabilities, right? There, there are real disabilities and challenges that people have to deal with, but if you're coming at it from the right place, it will strengthen you and those around you and provide an example that we can all be lifted off, up from. You know what I mean? And that has to be your North Star. That has to be our North Star. That's who we are as our, you know, at our core as a people. And right now we're in dangerous waters, you know? And... We're being influenced and co-opted by all kinds of forces outside of our control that don't have our best interest at heart. If you look in your heart, you will understand, you know, what the next move should be, okay? So with that, I wish you peace. I hope you enjoy the football today. I'm going to be watching it later. And uh, hope you stay warm, stay safe, you know. Do what you can to change this place. I'm going to be heading uh, to Florida tomorrow. If you want to check out Noel's notes on Substack, that's the way to do. Thanks for everybody who's bought t-shirts. I'm going to be on the road for a bit. Those t-shirts are always on my website, but I'm not going to be able to ship them out for a moment. I'll try to keep doing these podcasts if it helps. And uh, otherwise, you know, take care of yourself. Stay warm and love each other. Peace.